end up in the right destination, then all the time you spent formulating your thoughts is wasted. The message you wanted to get across is not communicated, and the response you're seeking will not be forthcoming. It's the same thing with our prayers. If we are going to give thanks to someone for his blessings and pray to him for all that we need, it's important for us to know whom to address. To us, it may seem very obvious whom we are to pray to. Yet for many people, this is not so obvious. They may realize that their prayers need to be addressed to a higher being. But who is that? You see, it's only through God's revelation of Himself in His Word that we know to whom we are to pray. In the Old Covenant, God made Himself known to His people Israel as their Father. Yet the full meaning of God being our Father did not become clear until Christ revealed the Father to us. The manner in which we address God reveals the relationship we have with Him. And so the question becomes, what kind of relationship do we have with God? Both our Bible reading and Lord's Day 46 teach us that we are God's children, that He is our Father. Therefore, Christ taught us to address God as our Father in heaven. Of course, God is not our Father because of natural relationship between Him and us. To use the words of Lord's Day 46, this address must be awakened with us. Of ourselves, we never dare to call God our Father. Yet we do so because our Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to do so. Through the redemption He has earned for us, He has restored us in our relationship with God. He has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so as God's adopted children, we may cry out, Abba, Father. I summarize the Word of God for you under the following theme. Christ teaches us to address God in our prayers as our Father in heaven. We'll consider how God revealed Himself as Father in the Old Testament, how Christ made the Father known to us in the New Testament, and how through the Spirit we may address God as Abba, Father. In everyday language, we often use metaphors in order to make a point more vivid, to give deeper expression to our thoughts and ideas. A metaphor describes something else in order to suggest a likeness. It makes a comparison through some word picture. For example, you might describe your friend as a straight shooter. The point's not that he shoots a rifle well. Instead, it is that you consider your friend to be a forthright and an honest person. In the same way, the Bible uses metaphorical language to teach us about God. We sing, a mighty fortress is our God. The point is not that God is a strong fort. We know God to be a spiritual being. The point is, we can trust in God. We can find our refuge and our strength in Him. In the Bible, we see that the parent-child relationship is used as a metaphor to describe the close relationship between God 
and his people. Already in the Old Testament, God was called the father of his people. Think, for example, what's written in Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. This passage records Moses' song of praise to God for all his wondrous works of delivering them from slavery in Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. But Israel has not responded positively to God's grace and goodness. Moses accuses God's people of corrupting themselves. He says, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Similarly, Isaiah 64 verse 8, God our Father is portrayed as our creator. Isaiah confesses, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We're all the work of your hand. Malachi makes the same point in chapter 2 verse 10. He asks, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? From these texts, we see that Israel confessed the Lord to be their father. They saw themselves as his children because he had created them. In the Old Testament, God's role as father of his people extends beyond being their creator. God also reveals himself as father of his people in redeeming them, loving them, and caring for them. By entering into a covenant with Israel, God showed forth his grace and steadfast love to his people. By delivering his people from Egypt and bringing them to the promised land, God revealed his mercy, his faithfulness to his chosen ones. The Old Testament makes it clear that God considered himself to be the father of his covenant people. When God commanded Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt, he told him, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 31, Moses speaks about God's care for Israel in the wilderness. He says to the people, you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God's fatherly care for Israel, his son, is especially clear in the prophets. In Hosea 11, God is presented as a loving father, grieving over his son's waywardness. The Lord says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. As a father teaches his toddler to walk. So the Lord instructed Israel and cared for them. The Lord says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that it was I who healed them. God speaks of leading his dearly loved son with cords of kindness, with bands of love. Yet God's son Israel strayed from the ways of the Lord, repaying his loving care and kindness with increasing idolatry. Israel's apostasy was so great that only enslavement by a foreign power could bring about repentance. Yet to bring such disaster upon his people caused the Lord great anguish. The Lord cries out as a father to his son saying, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? 
How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Jeremiah speaks in the same way about God's fatherly love for his son Israel. In chapter 31, we read of how the Lord says, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. God speaks of his enduring love for his exiled people. He promises renewal and restoration. The Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. The Lord gives a reason for bringing his people back from captivity. He says in Jeremiah 31, verse 9, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. The message that God was their father got through to the exiled people. In Isaiah 63, 16, it shows us that they saw the Lord as their father and that it meant more than the fact that he created them. God's people cried out saying, You, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. And so already in the Old Covenant, the Lord used the parent-child relationship to teach His people about His deep love and His care for them. Now for some, this image of God being a loving Father has been distorted. It's been distorted because their image of a father is wrong. Some people cannot relate to a father with love. It's often caused by the failings of earthly fathers, by them not being there for their children, by them forsaking their children, by them abusing their children in some way. Woe be to earthly fathers who do such things. For they cause their children great difficulty in knowing and understanding God as he's made himself known in his word. God knows the struggles that some face in relating to him as a father. And so it's striking to see how the Lord extends the metaphor of the parent-child relationship to allow us to better relate to him. Some do not know what it means to be loved by a father, but they have experienced their mom's love and care. And so the Lord also pictures his love and care in that way. In the Bible, God never refers to himself specifically as a mother. But he does use the love of a mother for her children as an image of God's love for his people. Deuteronomy 32 shows us that as a mother bears a child, so it was the Lord who gave birth to Israel. In Isaiah 42, 14, we see God's long-seeming silence toward his exiled people come to an end. The Lord speaks about giving birth anew to Israel. He says, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. God goes on to speak about how he will bring his people back from slavery about restoring their fortunes in the promised land. In Isaiah 66, 13, the Lord says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 
Beloved, please understand, I'm not saying God is our mother. The feminist movement sometimes makes those kind of claims. Some go so far as to see God as a she. There is no biblical support for that in any way. And yet our Heavenly Father is sensitive to the needs of all His children, even to the needs of those who do not understand what it means that He is our Father. To such, God portrays His love and care in a special way. He loves us with a love that's stronger than that of a mother for a child she has born. He cares for us and comforts us with the same devotion a mom has for a little son or daughter. We need to know the love and devotion of our Heavenly Father. For this is how Jesus taught us to address God in our prayers. How can you address someone in a personal way if you don't know Him? How can you then lay your needs and your concerns before God's throne of grace if He's someone far removed from you? We need to know God intimately to be able to call upon Him in all situations of life. That's why already through the history of His dealings with the covenant people, God made Himself known as our loving Father. Brings us to our second point, and it will consider how Christ made the Father known to us in the New Testament. With the coming of Christ, God made Himself known to us as our Father in a fuller and a richer way. The relationship between God and His people deepened. What was foreshadowed in the Old Covenant became a reality in the New Covenant. So much so that our Catechism says that God has become our Father through Christ. The perspective that Israel had on God changed with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear that God was His Father. The Gospels reveal to us how Christ knew and professed that God was His Father. As a 12-year-old boy, Christ remained in the temple after the celebration of the Passover. When His parents finally located Him there after three days of searching, Christ said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? In the same way, at the beginning of his public ministry, Christ refers to the temple as my father's house when he cleansed it of the money changers. Throughout his ministry, Jesus often referred to God as my father. Jesus made it clear that through him we may also call God our father. He made it known to his disciples in a beautiful way in John 14. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip doesn't understand, and so he asks, Show us the Father. Jesus responds by saying, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Consider those words of the Lord Jesus, beloved. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here Jesus reveals a profound truth. It is that the Father revealed His great love for His people 
in the sending of his only begotten son. The fact that Jesus was in their midst, that he was busy with their redemption, showed forth God's love for mankind. The Lord had not left his people in their sins and misery. He sent his son to save them. He sent Jesus to restore his people to covenant fellowship with him. Through the shedding of his blood on the cross, God would claim his people as his own once more. He would be their father. They would be his children. In the old covenant, God's people did not learn to fully know God as their father because God's son had not yet been revealed to them. But with the coming of the Christ, the fact that God is our father comes into focus. In Matthew 11, verse 27, the Lord Jesus said, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Many of the Jewish people professed to know God, yet they rejected the words and the works of His Son. They refused to repent. So Christ uttered an urgent call for us to come to Him, to believe in Him. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, beloved, it's only through faith in the Son of God that we can come to know the Father as He really is. Ultimately, our prayers are based on the redeeming work of our Savior. If it were not for Him, we might not, may as well not even pray. For it's only through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ that we've been restored to communion with God. Christ restored us to the wonderful position of sonship. By His redeeming work, God has adopted us as His sons and daughters. John writes about it in 1 John 3. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Thus, Jesus opened the way for us to address God as our Father. Do you know why Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father at the beginning of our prayers? He does so because He wants us to trust God just as a little child implicitly trusts his dad or his mom. Jesus uses the close parent-child relationship to model how close we can be to our Heavenly Father. Christ teaches us to call God our Father because He wants to awaken that childlike trust and reverence in our hearts. By addressing God as our Father, we learn to trust. God will care for us. He will help us in all our troubles. He will provide for all our needs. Beloved, when we consider our earthly fathers, we have to admit they're not perfect. Even loving fathers relate to their children with weaknesses and shortcomings. At times, fathers fail miserably. Their love can grow cold. It's possible for them to even forsake their children. But we may know God as being perfect. His love toward His children is everlasting. We have the reassurance of Psalm 27, verse 10, that in times when my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord 
will take me in. How wonderful it is that through Christ, God has become our loving and caring Father. It brings us to our final point, and we'll see how through the Spirit we may address God as Abba, Father. We know that God is exalted in heaven as majestic and glorious King. That's a great comfort. It gives us the confidence that He is able to care for us. As exalted King, God has authority and power. He's able to act on our behalf. So we may expect from Him all we need for body and soul. Yet the exalted position of God may make us reluctant to call upon Him. We might tend to think that as majestic King of the universe, God has more more important things on His mind than my minor concerns. We might think that with millions of others praying to me each day, God might be too busy to hear and answer my prayers. It's because of faulty thinking like that. Now, the Bible teaches us about how the Holy Spirit helps us call on God in prayer. The Holy Spirit is ever ready to help us in our weaknesses in prayer. We need not be cast down or distressed by the fear of not knowing what to say. The Spirit helps us when we come to God in prayer. Romans 8 verse 26 teaches us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The point is that when we pray, the Holy Spirit pleads with us and for us. Our reading from Romans 8 assures us that through the Spirit we may address God as Abba, Father, Abba, is the Aramaic word by which children address their dads. It's like calling out, Daddy. Most fathers have experienced that wonderful feeling of coming home from work and having one of their children come running with arms outstretched, crying, Daddy, Daddy. Such a greeting is an expression of a child's love, of his dependence, of his trust. In Christ, that's how we can call on our Heavenly Father, He is a personal, loving, caring Father. The Apostle Paul makes the point very clear. He says in Romans 8 verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He says in verse 16 that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What comfort, what assurance this gives us. There can be times in our lives when we're feeling alienated from God. Yet if we believe in Jesus as the only Savior, and we see the Spirit leading and directing our lives, we may be sure that God has adopted us as His children and heirs. The Spirit's work in us is a guarantee of our adoption as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And so, beloved, we see the correct address for our prayers. Christ has commanded us to call upon God as our Father in heaven. We pray to God as our Father because we trust that in His love and devotion for us, He will hear and He will answer our prayers. 
We believe this because of the love and faithfulness God has showed to his rebellious people of old. We believe this because God has shown his great love for us in sending his son to suffer and die for us. We believe it because the Spirit bears witness within us that we are children of God. How rich we are to be able to call God our Father. Let us confidently call on His name and let us so expect His rich blessing on our lives. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 72. <clears throat> 